Welcome to another exciting interview. Today we have Dr. Carl Kopp, who is an award-winning professor of instructional technology at Bloomsburg University in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. Carl, whose doctoral degree is from the University of Pittsburgh, and we're gonna talk a little bit about that today, is the director of Bloomsburg's Institute for Interactive Technologies and is recognized internationally as an expert in the application of games, game thinking, and gamification learning. I wouldn't say he's just recognized as an expert. He is the expert <laughs> in that. Um, he's currently a senior researcher on a grant sponsored by the NIH National Institute of Health and has worked for several NSF grants, and he's the advisor for several EdTech startup companies. Carl has co-authored co or authored a number of books, actually eight, eight books, presented at TEDx, and in 2009, he received the ATD Distinguished Contribution to Talent Development Award. And they're a big professional organization. That's a very prestigious award. Carl's work explores the research, theoretical foundations, and practical application of gamification, game thinking, and activity-based learning to organizational performance issues. His goal is to help organizations create engaging learning experiences through intelligent research-based application of instructional strategies and techniques. He shares his expertise and knowledge through consulting, workshops, one-on-one -on -one mentoring. He works with startup firms and Fortune 100 companies and government agencies. Welcome, Carl. Thanks, right? Great to be here. I'm very excited to talk to you today and, and uh, explore some really interesting topics. Yeah, it's going to be good. I want to find out, I, you know, reading your bio, and that's what I'm always curious about with all the people <laughs> that I talk to is, how do you get that bio? So we're going to talk about today. We're going to dig in. We're going to start out. I had to dig to find out your past. I had to really <laughs> find your resume, you know. Um, I, I wanted to find out, like, what did you do to get to the point where you have eight, eight books, you're recognized <laughs> as an expert. So, you know, you start out, you got a BA in English from Dickinson, great university, mm -hmm. by the way. Um, then you work for Applied Science Associates before starting your doctoral work in instructional technology at the University of Pittsburgh. So, when you first started college, you were an English major. What what was your initial goal to the, in those undergrad years? And when did instructional technology or training come into the picture? Was it when you started working? How did that all work out? Right. So it's kind of interesting. So in uh, my um, father was a teacher. My mother taught. My grandmother taught. She actually taught. My grandmother taught biology, and she actually got two biology degrees because she felt that one was uh, getting out of date. Gotcha. So I had the kind of a teaching focus in my family. And I always tell the story that I really got involved in instructional technology when I was in sixth grade. So uh, there was a, a, a girl in sixth grade named Kitty Neal who went into little theater. And I um, so I went into little theater and um, we got recruited from this company called Applied Science Associates to do a safety video called Willy Whistle. Gotcha. And we were the kids crossing the street and all that kind of stuff. And then years later, I had my I, I got my English degree and I wanted to teach. So at Dickinson, you got your degree in your subject matter, but then you got credentialed to teach. So gotcha. I didn't have a degree in okay. education. I had degree in English and then was credentialed to teach. And I almost got my psychology um, minor, but I didn't want to cut the head off rats. So I <laughs> so you had to take that, that class. So uh, one summer... I'm like, well, I need an internship. What am I going to do? And so um, somebody said, well, applied science is something, I don't know, with English and teaching or whatever. You should, you should apply there. 
So I went there and I said, you know, I worked here before when I was in, and they looked at me like, you're right out of college. You didn't work here before. I said, yeah, when I was in sixth grade, and they're like, oh. so they gave me a little test. I passed the test and I got working there. And then about two weeks later, I'm like, okay, what do you guys do here? What is this called? And they're like, oh, it's called instructional technology. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like really, really cool. And I had already um, signed up to, to take a master's program at University of Pittsburgh in educational counseling. My thought originally was I would, would counsel kids on how to get to um, like high-end schools and stuff like that because that was a big deal back then. Of course, the flaw in that plan was I, I didn't go to a Harvard or a Yale, so counseling kids to get in there was not sure. – <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> but anyway, so um, once I found out about instructional technology, I'm like, oh, I got to change my major or my master's program. So you would have thought I was, you know, moving heaven and earth, but I managed to get it changed and then really kind of fell in love with the field because it was so fascinating. And then the, the, the fortunate thing to me is as I was learning instructional design and technology, I was applying it at applied science associates. So I got to see it kind of in real life and work in real life. And that was really kind of, kind of a lot, a lot of fun for me. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is a really awesome career. And then, um, after that, I, I said, well, uh, uh, a friend of mine uh, named Kathleen, she's like, hey, Carl, uh, I just uh, interviewed for this job. It's at the software company, and they need one person to do the training. I, I hated it, but you'd be good for it. So I'm like, oh. I'm like, okay, thanks, Kathleen. So I, I actually went and applied for that job and became a one-person training department uh, in software. Nice. And so, yeah, that taught me a lot about – software and trying to figure out software and how software works and all that kind of stuff. And so I did that for a few years and, and got my master's. And then I, I, I said, well, I'm not that far from my doctorate. Why don't I just take a few more courses and get my doctorate? Not thinking at all about the dissertation. <laughs> and, uh, now, did you know, the, did you know you wanted to be a professor at this point? Was, was that I like knew, your kind of goal? I had thought that I would like to teach. Yes. I thought being a professor, I wanted to teach. And I thought I didn't want to teach necessarily in high school. I had done that. I, I had one student, I had student taught and I had one student and he never like reacted to anything that I said in class and was very stoic. And one day I was teaching and, and he really enthusiastically raises his hand. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I finally got through this kid. I said, yeah, what do you want? He goes, I really like your tie. <laughs> like, seriously, that's all you so like, wow, middle school's really tough. And then high school I didn't think would be any easier. So um, and I was fascinated by like the whole college kind of um thinking about knowledge and imparting sure. knowledge and all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, you know, that would be a, a good place to go. And I and I also thought naively, I'm like, oh, you know, what's the three what three reasons you want this job, right, as a professor, right? June, July, and August. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not <laughs> realizing first, you're going to totally, that's when you catch up on everything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. For the first 20 years, I taught every June, July. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's crazy. But um, so that was kind of like, I, I thought, I thought, being a professor was the right place I wanted to be. And the other thing that I ran into was after I got my doctoral degree, a number of people said, if you don't go into teaching at the college level right away, you'll be tainted sure. and you'll never get a job in college, which yeah, I thought was totally, that. yeah. You, you hear totally, that. You do. I, I heard the same thing. You hear that. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and it's totally opposite of what it should be. Oh yeah, because no. if you have experience, you should be bring that to the a classroom. A professor with that experience, right. sure. Exactly. But so I said, okay, well, let me try this. Now. I'll try it out for three years, see if it works, and then go from there. Now, twenty plus years later, it, it obviously worked. So that was kind of my progression. I started literally at this job at Applied Science Associates. Nobody in Butler knew what they did, and then that became uh, a career. Now, did you have any mentors that were helping guide you throughout this time of, you know, figuring out your your path throughout, like, should I get a doctorate? And who, who were like the people right. you were looking up to that helped yeah, you? Yeah, I had, I had, I had a couple of mentors. So one was my master's degree, Dr. David Crossman, also eventually became my thesis advisor. And he was coaching me and talking to me and giving me some advice. And then also, um, I had joined the local ASTD chapter. Okay. And uh, the woman who was um, the president of that chapter or very up in that chapter kind of took me under her wing a little bit and kind of showed me the ropes and told me about the industry and told told me about the, the elements of the industry. And, and then there was a whole cadre of people there that were so – nice and opening and welcoming that always gave me advice and always gave me information. And then, um, I really just learned so much from them in this collective that, that really worked. But Dr. Crossman was a, was a big influence. And then I had a couple of people at applied science associates like John Drugo. He was like a vice president and he would give some career advice and, um, uh, Gary Purifoy, uh, I worked for him for a long time and he was really helpful. So yeah, a lot of people just gave, they didn't have one mentor, but I had a lot of people giving me lots sure. of different advice about the career, which I thought was really, really helpful. And then you chose Bloomsburg's instructional technology program, which is a nationally or even internationally recognized program. It was led by Hank Bailey and then Tim Phillips was there at the time. Mm-hmm. Was, was that, how, why, why did you choose that program? So interestingly, so after I had finished my uh, doctoral degree, I, I, I always said I had one foot in academia, one foot in corporate. I wanted to switch feet. So I looked around for uh, places that would uh, maybe hire someone in instructional technology, and I saw a couple of places. But what I liked about Bloomsburg was they had the Corporate Advisory sure. Council, which is a group of you know folks that uh, – and I thought, wow, that's fantastic. That's Because my biggest fear was losing – kind of the um, edge of, of corporate. I sure. didn't want to lose that kind of like um, momentum yeah. and speed mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So I wanted a program that had that and Bloomsburg had that program, had that program already in place. So it was really, really attractive to me. I looked at some other programs that didn't have that corporate sure. tie. It's not usual so like, in the field. So it's... it's not, no. And a lot of ed tech programs are educational. Instructional yeah. technology programs are educational. Yes. I wanted that corporate background. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, you know, Hank was leaving who had the corporate background. And Tim Phillips said, hey, I want somebody with the corporate background. So when I got there, uh, it was a really good match because I had the corporate experience, but then also could bring the academic uh, element to it as well. Gotcha. So those first few years, and I'm going to get to your books next. So those first Mm -hmm. few years when you started working as a professor, what was that like? What were your initial goals and motivations? Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, one was coming up to speed on all the content I was teaching. So uh, that took a long time to to get up there. And then um, the goal really was to, you know, Bloomsburg had this Institute for Interactive Technologies, and I wanted to play a part in that because that was the corporate uh, connection. 
So uh, even though I wasn't officially, when I got first got there, part of the Institute, I wanted to try to go out and help. And we had a meeting with the dean really early on after Hank left, who said, uh, you know, if the Institute isn't self-supporting, we're going to get rid of it. Uh, he said, that's the nature of an Institute. You need to be self-supporting and, you know, Hank's gone and money's not coming in. You guys were going to, you know, maybe not do this. So my task, you know, Tim and I kind of sat down and Tim's like, you know, we got to bring in some money. We got to do something. So I would go out and try to, um, you know, with whatever contacts I had, try to get things. And it was not real uh, successful. We had one good project with AT&T and alumni, Jonathan Jones actually said, Hey, you know, AT&T, you know, we want to do a project. Can you do that? And then we got very fortunate where the Department of Public Welfare, uh, e-learning was coming on really strong. It's like in 97, 98, 99. And he's like, we want to change all of our training to um, online training. And so uh, Tim always tells me we're sitting in the, in the meeting and I started doing the numbers about how many hours of online training they had, the, the the um, conversion formula at sure. a time and everything. And the guy's like, well, so how much do you think that's going to cost? And I, I did the numbers and not even thinking too much. I said, oh, probably about a million dollars. And um, the gentleman didn't even blink. So I should ask for more, but he didn't even <laughs> blink. And, and then Tim's like, okay. And then afterwards, he's like, how are we going to spend a million dollars? Like, we'll spend it. So um, that, and then that took like another two years for that whole process to one run through its process. But then, then we won that, that, project and we spent you know in total about 10 years helping put a lot of the pennsylvania department of public welfare courses um online so that was a really exciting project then we got some other projects uh in the institute and um was able to uh, give students experience of working on actual projects that were actually being used in the field which was very exciting Okay, that's that's really neat. So you kind of like started up a almost like a company within your program. I mean, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, it basically was. I mean, that that was a, a huge contract that we started doing smaller contracts, and and then the institute, you know, kind of was able to be self sustaining and uh, bring in project work and hires. Uh, we would hire instructional designers to work on projects, and the graduate assistants would work on projects. And so we were able to, to be self-sustaining, which was fantastic because we could bring into the classroom, you know, what we had done that day at sure. the clients. And it was really a, a great experience. And that's so important. And I think, I think we miss that a lot in higher ed that, you know, some fields like medicine and law, a, a medical professor is a practicing doctor. Right. And in a lot of fields in academia, you're not, you're done practicing when you become a professor, right. but you know, you've kind of transitioned and it's something I've actually uh, modeled after what you've done is continuing to practice. I find it so invaluable. I mean, do you think that that's helped you, you know, throughout your career, just in your teaching and everything you're doing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, I, I can't, I, I, the, the number of times I come into class and say, Hey, I was talking to somebody today and they had this very problem that we're dealing with today yeah. in class, or, you know, here's a situation that, you know, I just got a call about this today. So let's, you know, talk about it or, Hey, I'm working on a project for a client and this is exactly what we're doing. So if you think, you know, I, I teach, uh, you know, the managing multimedia projects and, and uh, students how to, uh, deliver a sales pitch basically based on the, the process. And 
someone said to me, oh, Dr. Cobb, there were, you would never have, you know, like 20 people evaluating your thing and presenting to them. And I said, literally, last week I was <laughs> at a client on a team and we were present, you know, so yeah. we're able, I'm able to really ground what uh, the theory into the actual practice. And for me, that's really refreshing. And then on the other side, I'm able to bring some academic perspective to companies who don't always have time to look up and see what's going on. Sure. So it's a, it's a re, it's been a really nice mix for me in terms of uh, bringing the academia to the corporate and bringing the corporate to the academia. Yeah, I completely, completely agree and see where you're, because I've been modeling that same, like I, I am so about what you're talking like that's just exactly in line with my belief system so all right so what i want to do is i want to come and start talking a little bit about some of the work you've been doing so you so you wrote your first book in 2001 it was integrated learning for erp success a learning requirements planning approach then you literally have written a book like every two to three years since then i mean literally have keep writing book like have eight books published i mean that's an I mean, most people, they have a goal in their career to write one as an academic where you're paid to publish and they want to write, have that one book. You've written eight. So I guess my first question for you, I want to talk about this process of you actually writing a book. So first of all, how do you even come up with an idea? Right. So let's uh, let let me just jump back to 2001, though, before. So um, I was at a conference and a gentleman that I was with said, hey, why don't we write a book together? I'm like, fine, let's do. So we approached a publisher. He said, give a letter query. It kind of worked out. I told him I will write the first chapter. You write the second. Then I'll write the third. So I wrote the first chapter. He wasn't done yet. He said, "Okay." Uh, I said, "Okay, I'll write the second. You write the third. And we literally did that for the whole book. So I learned from that that I could write a book. Because I, I wasn't really sure that I could write a book, sure. but because I had to, that's when I thought publisher contracts were real. Um, <laughs> they're not as real as you think in terms of dates. But what I what I do in terms of the book, uh, and that book came from uh, needing to help organizations implement computer systems and go through the training process. So what I usually do or try to think about when I write a book is what am I interested in and what do I think will help people get to the next level of the learning and understanding. So I wrote a a winning e-learning proposal Mm -hmm. book because I was teaching it, but I was also finding out that there was some really bad proposal writing out there. And if people wanted to improve the practice, they could follow some practices, but they weren't doing it. And so I wrote that book and got some really nice feedback. I got an email one time from uh, Michael Allen which kind of floored me, but he's like, you know, our people sometimes lose track of, you know, we're not always as focused on writing proposals as we would like, but this really is a great tool. Um, so I tie it oftentimes to my classes. Um, so sometimes I don't know what comes first, like my experimental class or, or my book idea, but I try to look out over the, uh, over the uh, landscape and see what's happening and then write what I'm passionate about or really interested about. Um, and that's kind of how I, I, I get started. Um, back when I was blogging more, I would go through my blog and kind of look for topics that made sense as well um, and uh, look at that. So that, that's kind of how the ideas kind of come from surveying kind of the industry. What questions am I getting from uh, my consultant clients? What kind of uh, projects am I working on? And that's kind of brings the idea to fruition. Then. I've done it enough times and there's an outline. It's, it's, it, it's, if you're going to write that much, you kind of need a formula. So it's a little formulaic. 
um, in terms of the writing process. So you have to have a definition. That's the first chapter, setting the stage. Then I kind of lay it out. Then I have case studies. Then I kind of have next steps. And that's kind of the book. So do you you do you go and actively find a publisher for all your books? Um, is that how it works? Like you write a white paper or a sample of what it's going to be and you go out and find a publisher? So early in my career, yeah, that's exactly what I had to do. I had to go find a publisher, write a letter of query, do a sample chapter, do an outline. It goes to their committee. They have to approve it, and then you go from there. So the first two books I wrote were independent publishers, okay, uh, which was great. Um, they were small, small publishing houses, so uh, had a really good relationship with the folks. And then I wanted to – I felt I needed a bigger publisher. I wanted a bigger presence. Sure. So then I went to Wild. Well, at the time, Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer, I met with their representative, laid out kind of my credentials and the two books that I had written. Um, and they, I, I didn't think they sold a lot. Like my first two books maybe sold like early on like a thousand copies. And I told her, I, yeah, I had two books. They sold. And she's like, oh, that's that's not too bad. I'm like, <laughs> Wow. You're thinking like they're expecting like a million sold or something. Exactly. Right? I'm like thinking Danielle Steele or, you know, <laughs> yeah, J.K. Sure. Rowling's. I'm like, not okay, like well, academic. This, right. Not like academic, like a thousand. So um, she said, that's okay. So then, so then I, again, did the whole thing for uh, Pfeiffer. And that's when I wrote Gadgets, Games, and Gizmos for Learning. And then um, continued on with um, uh, Learning in 3D. And then gamification was the final of the book with, uh, oh no, and then the field book. So the, I, I wrote those books with Wiley slash Pfeiffer. And then after Wiley, after the third book came out, um, or the fourth book, the, uh, you know, Wiley was going through a lot of changes. They laid off my, my editor, they laid off uh, my contact. And I wanted to then kind of, uh, find another publisher. So I approached ATD, ASTD at the time, ATD sure. and said, Hey, would you, would you publish my work? And they're like, yeah, that's great. I mean, gamification sold first gamification book sold like almost 10,000 copies. So at that time that would establish me as, okay, this is a person that you can publish and we'll sell some copy. Now, no book has sold 10,000 since, uh, I hit that at the exact right time, but, um, there's still a following enough to sell, to sell the books, which is what they're, they're looking for. Now, how do you stay motivated to write? I mean, it's, it's a tedious, I just finished my first book and it was a two year uh -huh. process. I mean, it was very <laughs> tedious of me scheduling and saying like, Oh my gosh, it was almost like, I felt like I was doing a dissertation again. Like right. yeah. I wanted to quit 10 times. How do you, what's, what's your, do you have a process for that? You know, I, I used to say, you know, this is why I hated school. Like what the heck am I doing? But, um, <laughs> I do. So my, so it's very different. So the first book that I wrote, uh, well, Fast forward to Gadgets, Games, Gizmos, which was my favorite book to write, but it was all-encompassing. I would get up in the morning, and I, 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 I'd say in the morning I do my wet work when I have to think and kind of get sure. – then in, in the evening I do like, okay, this – here's my citations. Yeah, the, here's my – you know, all that kind of stuff that I hate to do. Yeah, sure. Um, and that was like all-consuming. And then after I had written that book and published it, I was at a, a party or something with my wife, and I, I was mentioning something to a friend. Like I'm like, well, when I write my next book, and literally she burst into tears. So I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> probably not the best process to, <laughs> to do. So um, subsequently, it's kind of like anything that you do. The more you do it, the more you get used to it. So sure. my process now is – and I try to use co-authors a lot. I like to write with co-authors because – 
I don't have every idea. I don't know everything. And they push and prod. Sure. It helps really you, that, it helps you motivate does. each other. It's great. And I think writing is a thinking process. So it's not just a recording of what, you know, you think about it. And so what I do now is I'll put together, uh, I'll have an idea for a book and then I'll put together an outline of the book. And then I know they want a first chapter. So then I'll write a first chapter. I'll send it off to ATD. It goes to their committee. They see if they like it. If they say yes, then I start writing the subsequent chapters. I'm pretty linear in how I write a book. Um, I like to do the first chapter, second chapter, et cetera. Gotcha. And then I have a process for getting case studies. So um, I, I work a lot with vendors as a consultant and doing stuff. So I have a almost a template. I said, hey, I'd like to have you in my book. Here's a template that you uh, can follow. Could you do this? And they like to have, you know, they like to have control over the copy and all that kind of stuff. And then they can get permission from their client and that kind of stuff. I don't have to deal with that. So I have them do the, the case studies. And then I kind of round out the book with any um, other things that uh, need to be done in terms of templates or workbooks. And I try to write definitely in the morning. And for, for the gamification book, actually, I knew I was writing the book, so I would do blog posts on pieces that I knew were gotcha. going to be in the book and then just did that process. So, um, yeah, just sitting down and I have books all stacked all around me <laughs> and I'm going through the book and, you know, uh, highlighting this or, or doing that or, oh, this is a good idea or, oh, I had this conversation with this person. Like in game, the gamification book, I had a lot of content. I, I got into a big, uh, early on in gamification, a big kind of argument with Kathy Sierra. And uh, it was an intellectual argument. It was all, you know, she has taken a lot of crap. And, you know, so I, I was like, okay, let's just be, keep this as intellectual as possible. And it was, but she really forced me to make some thoughts about what gamification was all about and, and what I thought it really meant uh, from being, a, you know, like um, superficial. And so that made it into the book and those kind of things. So, Would you say that's um, your most successful work or what, what do you think is your most successful work? And is that the same as your favorite work? Uh, it's not the same. So my favorite work is uh, Gadgets, Games and Gizmos for Learning. I just had so much fun writing that book. I think it, it captured what I was thinking at the time. There's a, uh, a sense of whimsy a little bit in that book. There's a sense of um, I actually went to Universal Studios, I got permission to use a little bit of dialogue from the Kobayashi Maru, um, which is not cheap, let me tell you. Um, so anyway, and my wife's like, why are you doing that? It's going to be like more than the whole book. I'm like, I know, but I want this in that book. So that was my favorite book. The gamification book, though, was the most successful book. And I think what made that book successful was I was right on the cusp of that becoming an item. So I had been researching it. I had been thinking about the, the concept of gamification for a while, but I didn't have a term for it. I didn't know what to call it. But I knew I wanted to use pieces and parts of games. I didn't want to use the whole thing. Then I saw this term gamification. I'm like, that's it. That's exactly what I want to do for this book. And the publisher actually at the time was like, I don't know. We're not going to use the term gamification. We never even heard of that. <laughs> so I actually had to go and find like Forbes had an article and Inc. had an article and say, look, this isn't just me. This is like other people use this term. And then at that time, it took off. Now, for example, I wrote a book uh, with Tony O'Driscoll called Learning in 3D. And I always joke that the day that book came out was pretty much the day most people lost interest in Second Life. <laughs> like <laughs> there was this huge curve of, of, yes. of 3D and then boom, it just fell. Um, so that book like didn't go really anywhere. Um, so it's a little bit of timing and luck and interest and the other thing I tell people is by the time I had written the gamification book, 
I had written two other books in that space. So I say to people, I say, even if you don't think your first book's going to be popular or anybody's going to buy it, write the book because that establishes you in the space. So then when I wrote Gamification, it wasn't like, oh, here's this upstart that doesn't know anything. Sure. I had a lineage of books in the space. You had that credential in the field to, you know, and a following and readers and stuff that really help you. It, It really makes a difference. You don't think that it does, but it actually over time really does. Okay, perfect. So, okay, so now I want to move. We've talked a little bit about your books. We've talked about your early life. I want to move into some of the consulting stuff that you do. I just have a couple questions, and then I want to get into just a couple of, you know, kind of what's next type stuff. Okay, sure. So yeah. you're. I see on your LinkedIn profile that you're on the board, and in your profile that I read, you're on the board of directors of three startup, different org, different organizations what is what does that mean you're on the board of a director of a company does does that is that a lot of work is it just an advising thing is that is that do you get paid for that kind of work how does it that depends work? on the, so um I, I so i don't know if i'm smart or not but i uh don't get paid directly but i have equity in the firm gotcha okay um so right now I own 22% of one of the firms. So every like six months I get this, oh, you're now 13%. Yeah, you always hear about board of directors. I'm always like, what does that mean? What are they doing? Right, right. Now maybe smarter people than me get paid and get equity. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but so I, ha- I have some equity ownership in those companies. And what I typically do is provide either monthly or ad hoc consulting about adding gamification, about adding um, elements in there, making sure that as they think about gamification, it's um, framed correctly, scientifically, evidence-based, research-based. And then sometimes I'll, uh, like uh, I'm doing something uh, Friday, and it's a presentation on gamification for the developers of the company. And so they want to understand how does gamification work and how can we apply it and what are some examples in the field. And then I'll, I'll also uh, say, hey, you know, we're noticing this happening in the field. What do you think? Or what are some ideas? Or they'll show me a wireframe and ask me to go through the wireframe. So a lot of different uh, tasks, all really about uh, consulting and sometimes uh, making connections. You know, hey, can you connect me to these folks? Sure. You, you, know, you know those folks. Or will this work in academia? That kind of stuff. So it's a lot of advising and counseling um, it's not a ton of time. Sometimes it's more than than others. Sure. Um, but the one thing it does for me is it allows me to see the latest and greatest technologies that people are thinking yeah. about. So not only does it uh, provide me maybe someday a retirement plan, although I don't think so. But what it does is I can I can bring it in a classroom. I can say, hey, like I'm working with the one company presenter, and they have basically a a a, a coach, a digital coach. So I can talk to my students now, well, here's how a digital coach works. Here's kind of the uh, implications of a digital coach. Here's some obstacles of implementing a digital coach. So it's really nice to be able to, again, bring that back to the classroom from a realistic uh, perspective. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's interesting to hear. I was just—I yeah. I saw that and I was like, I gotta ask him about this because that's really cool. I just want—I'm just—yeah, it's just, really cool to be involved with that. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was neat. So I, another thing that I was interested in <clears throat> from your resume is that 
you've created these courses for Linda, which is now owned by LinkedIn. And I was really curious, how does that work? Did they approach you to develop those courses? What was that like to develop courses for them? Yeah, it was really cool. So, so, and I'm very fortunate because I got in just when uh, lynda.com was purchased by LinkedIn and then purchased by Microsoft. So I got to see like the whole yeah. thing, which was kind of cool. Um, it was at, at a, at a conference. I had given a presentation and, um, a gentleman, Aaron had approached me and said, Hey, I saw your presentation. It's really interesting. Um, I work with lynda.com. We're looking for, they call them authors. We're looking for an author. Would you be interested in being an author? And I said, yeah, fine. Like on gamification. So, um, I came out and did, uh, so they fly you to California and you're in, um, Carpinteria, which is beautiful right on the coast. And, um, uh, you go inside and then they have this, the first time I did it, it was a stage. So they had built a stage and everything. And I did the whole thing and was really nervous and, you know, very uh, unsure. And so what happens is you have your topic, you outline it, and then you have to create a script. Okay. And then you write the script and then your producer goes through the script with you and says, you know, this might not work. Or do you have an example here? This doesn't make sense what kind of image should we show here? What kind of things should we do there? So kind of go through that process. So once you get that process in it and it's good, then you fly out and then you have to pick like your shirt and everything. And sure. they have to pick that. And then uh, you film from about eight o'clock in the morning to maybe two or three in the afternoon, your voice starts to go. Sure. Um, so then <clears> they, they give you a break there. And then you do uh, most of mine were called, what's called live action. So it was just me speaking to the camera. Although I had some things where you go into the booth and you kind of show how software works or how software uh, interacts. So I had done the one course and then they said, that, oh, they really liked it. And then they said, hey, can you do another course and another course? And then so it just started. So I think I have maybe close to nine or 10 oh, wow. uh, LinkedIn learning courses. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Do so, they, do you own the courses or how does that work? Like how does that, so, or do they pay someone a fee? Yeah. So they'll pay an advance to do the course and then you get royalties against that advance. Gotcha. So they, oh, they, they kind of own the con the, the first contract I signed was a very kind of loose, like, okay, just don't compete with us. And you know, sure. we understand this is your content. So don't. So, um, I don't know if it's gotten more formal with Microsoft. Um, uh, if I ever do a course on gamification, <laughs> I'll find out when I get the cease and desist. Um, but so, so, you know, just not directly competing with them. And, um, that's been really nice. You know, I did that for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to see what the, you know, we use lynda.com. Sure. No, yeah. I think it's really cool. Definitely. College. So I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And so through that experience, I wrote up a big thing on my blog about it. And a lot, I got a lot of interest in that. And then also, you know, it, it is, uh, uh, during these times, a lot of people are, are looking to LinkedIn learning for yeah. and, and things like that. So I've, I've, uh, uh, that's been a good way to get kind of information out about, you know, uh, I would say it breaks the four walls of the university. It, it, it allows me to help lift the boat literally all over the world rather than just in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. So, so what's, how do you typical week for Carl 
what do you what's what's what what is what does your week look like what what does your day-to-day look like like are you is it always something you're always working on something different do you have a kind of a a, this work schedule like how how does what does that look like yeah that's a really great question so i would say that almost every day is different than every other day um i tend to i like to get up early like 5 30 6 o'clock that's when i like to write or create so that's my kind of create time up until i'll try to push that as far as i can but usually calls and things start at 10 or 11 and then i do some things there um if i'm teaching that night i usually do some prep for my class that i'm teaching or grading some papers or things like that so i'll prepare for that then oftentimes i'll have uh uh, maybe a consulting meeting that i'm going toward or if i'm working on a project with the client uh, i will do that um Sometimes if I'm if I'm pressed for a book, like I'll try to push everything else to the side and kind of just work on the book and get that done. I've been trying to do more piece by piece, and that works a little bit better. Um, but the two days are, are not really the same. And then in the evening, if I have time, I'll try to do some like um, organizing or getting things ready for the next day or finding things or those kind of stuff, maybe checking out new software, sure. um, sometimes how that works. But uh, I, I can't say that most of my days are, are ever the same, which I think some days I love that. Some days I'm like, oh, can I just, can <laughs> I just know day. what I'm doing tomorrow? <laughs> like, I don't want to be doing all this stuff. So, you know, sometimes it, 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 it's a little bit overwhelming, but most of the time it, it's a lot of fun. And because it's so many new and different things that it doesn't get boring or old or, but I have had, like when you said writing, I've had times where like, I'm like, oh my God, I know exactly what I want to write today, but I seriously don't want to write. Yeah. <laughs> it's more fun when I don't know what to write because then it kind of like flows out of you and you figure it out. But if you're like, okay, I'm going to write, you know, I'm going to talk about, you know, motivate, I'm going to talk about like, you know, Gagne's nine events of instruction and I know what they are and I just have to type them up and put a little spin on it. And I'm like, ah, okay. So sometimes it's not, it's not as fun. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. So I have one final question for you today. Okay. What's next? What are you working what's on? Next? What's what's the big what's the big thing that you're doing? Maybe you can't yeah. tell us, and that's so, okay. But. Uh, well, I've got a, I've got a couple things. <clears throat> I, I've actually um, completed for one of my clients a series of uh, courses in the LinkedIn Learning style. One on performance consulting. One on uh, creating designing interactive uh, learning, and one on micro learning. So uh, that's been consuming all my time because I've been recording in my basement. I've been doing post-production and uh, I've you know, read the scripts and all that. Sure. My, my wife is like the director. So uh, that's been a huge project that I just finished. And um, what I'm trying to do is uh, get, uh, the, instead of doing the face-to-face workshops, do this as, as almost a, um, a substitute for the face-to-face. Sure. And then have me do like consulting and things kind of on the side, you know, wrapped into kind of like a bundle. So that's been a really interesting project for me to try to to be now the whole the whole production crew, uh, which has been really kind of interesting. And then the other thing that's really kind of popped up that's been interesting is uh, a lot of places are going on virtual conferences. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. uh, a couple colleagues of mine, uh, Kevin Thorne and Deborah Thomas and I. Uh, last year we did a, a workshop in a house in Florida where every room was themed after a different game, which is really cool. Um, but we can't do that this year. So we're moving that all online. So we have a conference called step away and 
uh, Deborah has access to a virtual platform, so she's doing kind of virtual platform stuff, a 3D virtual platform. Kevin does the Lego stuff. I kind of do the game stuff. So we've been working on that uh, and trying to get that in place and, and ready to go. So Print and Play, for example, is sponsoring the event. So we're really excited about the event. It's a month-long kind of immersive experience for anyone that was designed games. So I've been working on that kind of a, a, a workshop. And then been playing with some VR stuff as well. So uh, a couple different projects. Um, luckily, I'm, I'm kind of at a lull a little bit, which that's nice. <laughs> take a breath July is a good, starts, yeah, it's right. a good time to have that. I always try to work that into my schedule. The, that July yeah. time frame, like, can I just have a break, please? People are already <laughs> asking me, like, let's start this in August, and I'm like, please don't come August. Right. <laughs> Let me yeah. relax just somewhat, take a mental break. Well, you said a lot. I've learned a lot today. Um, I think it was really interesting to hear about kind of your how you did everything. I think that was just yeah. fascinating. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you, really thank you for making the time today to do this. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me. This has been great. And I don't get a lot of, you know, often questions about that process and stuff. So it's interesting for me too to think about it and to talk about it. So thank you very much. Awesome. All right. See you, everybody. Thanks again, Carl. Bye, everybody.